and I'm going to read from verse 9. Revelation 1 and verse 9. Let's hear the voice of the Lord Jesus. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Christ, uh, that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, for I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Right therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This is the word of the Lord Jesus Christ to us this morning. Uh, The American writer uh, Rod Dreher uh, tells of a phone call he, he got uh, one evening, it was a phone call from a, a, a doctor. He lives out in the States, <coughs> excuse me, uh, an American doctor who was phoning up on behalf of his elderly mum. Uh, his mum had grown up behind the Iron Curtain. Uh, in other words, she'd grown up uh, under communism. Uh, in particular, she'd grown up in what was then Czechoslovakia. And the man was phoning up um, Dreher, who was a, a Christian journalist or a Christian writer, rather. Uh, to say that his mum was, was particularly disturbed. What, what had disturbed her? What had disturbed her was that increasingly in, that was about four or five years ago now, in the United States, she was seeing similar patterns to what she'd seen in Czechoslovakia some 50, 60 years ago. She, she was beginning to feel that the atmosphere uh, in the USA was in some ways heading in the direction of the atmosphere in her home country. In particular, it was becoming, in her words, much more totalitarian. Now, Drea says that initially he was sort of wanting to dismiss this as old people panicking. Uh, You you sort of know the pattern. Things aren't like what they used to be. And, And he was tempted to push it away. But increasingly, he started meeting with others who had lived under the uh, the communist regimes, who'd either fled or who'd survived and come to the West since. 
And he realized that the pattern was a common one. There was an increasing fear, or there is an increasing fear, uh, Dreher writes, that the, the USA, and indeed the West in general, is heading towards totalitarianism. Now, he doesn't mean towards dictatorship. I, don't, I guess there's not much danger in, in the USA or the UK of us suddenly having a dictator running the country. I suppose anything's possible, but it doesn't seem particularly likely, does it, given our, our setup? But Dreher goes on to say that the big mistake is to confuse dictatorship with, with totalitarianism. Dictatorship, sure, seems to be off the cards, at least in Western democracies at the moment. One man, or I suppose woman, dominating everything. But totalitarianism is different, and that is what these people were fearing. Totalitarianism is more an ideology, an understanding that, 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 that seeks to control... Well, everything, everything about you, control institutions, but also control the way you think, the way you speak, even down to what you feel. And it's that that had begun to ring bells for these older generations who'd come from behind the Iron Curtain. So so Dreyer started to speak to slightly younger folk. By younger, he probably means people in about their 50s. (laughs) And, And he goes on to talk about a conversation with another uh, it was actually another Czech uh, emigre who, who'd noticed, again, out in the States, but I think the UK is very similar, who'd noticed that, that if his friends, his US-born friends, wanted to express what were basically conservative opinions, and they were out in public at a restaurant or a cafe, they, they would just lower their voice. They, they, would, they would look round before speaking. And that if he, the guy who'd come from the Czech Republic... If he expressed conservative-ish opinions in a normal tone of voice, his American friends would just get a bit fidgety. Now, I wonder if you can associate with that. Um, Let me pick a controversial issue that I don't think has a Christian kind of right and wrong to it, okay? So please don't hear this as a Christian take on. But take the issue of Brexit, okay? That was probably the most controversial political issue of the last sort of, whatever it's been, five, six years, isn't it? I don't know what any of you think on Brexit, more or less, okay? And you don't know what I think. But I reckon if you were pro-Remain, you would feel pretty happy putting that on social media. You'd feel pretty happy talking about that in a normal tone of voice uh, around the uni campus or or in Starbucks. If you were pro-Brexit, you'd be a bit more cautious, it's, 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 it's more unlikely, unless you're very robust, it's more unlikely that when the vote went through to, to, to leave the EU, you, you put a sort of celebratory note on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. Why is that? Why is that, especially when more than half the country voted that, that way? Well, it's because somehow, so almost intangibly, we feel, or, or many people feel, that that's not an acceptable opinion. And so we try and keep it, well, keep it on the quiet. Now, what you think about Brexit ultimately is of no concern to me, and I'm certainly not going to start standing at the front and telling you what you should think one way or another. That's simply not my role. But, but if political opinions, or some political opinions, are felt to be a little bit taboo, some of them are the kind of things we ought to keep to ourselves, how much more are opinions on things like sexuality, gender, or just simply our religious opinions, our opinions on Christ. How confident would you feel sitting in Starbucks 
Uh, talking about the fact that you're totally confident that there is biological male and biological female, and the two simply can't cross. How confident would you be putting that on, on social media? Again, not to be provocative, but how confident would you be expressing your opinion in the office that, of course, marriage is only male-female? And my guess is, if you hold the opposite to those opinions, if you thought that two men and two women could get married, that would go down fine in the office. But you express Christian views of marriage or gender or whatever it may be. And suddenly the heat is on. I think Dreher is right. Whatever you think of, of his thesis about kind of where the world is going, he is certainly right in that there is a clash between two worlds, clash between two kingdoms, the kingdom of Christ and all the kingdoms of this world. He's right because that is always the case. That is the, the, the situation that Revelation is written to. I think personally that the heat is being turned up. I think as you look at the world around us, again, I can only look at the UK, but as you look at the UK around us, the heat is being turned up on anyone who wants to stand with, with Christ's word. But that's not the first time in history that's been the case. And Revelation is written to those who feel the clash of kingdoms, who are living in the world, but know they belong to another one. And so if that is you this morning, Revelation is, is given to strengthen you. Three things that seem almost contradictory. First of all, the first thing we need to, to know if we're going to stand strong is this. If you want to be in, you have to be out. Okay, children, that's the first thing this morning. I think you've got some sheets, hopefully. If you want to be in, you have to be out. This is verse 9. Look down with me, verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and in the kingdom and in the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. This is John the Apostle, the same John who wrote John's gospel. But he doesn't introduce himself as an apostle kind of over us. He introduces himself as one of us. Okay, I'm, I'm like you. I'm a brother, a partner. In other words... What you experience, I experience, and says John to us this morning, what I'm experiencing, you'll experience. What is he a partner in? Well, three things. Do you see the tribulation, the kingdom, and the patient endurance? The way kind of the language works, the Greek language works behind that, there's only, there's only one the there. So it's almost like the three things all go together. Okay, in English, we have to stick a the in to make it all make sense. But the three things are inseparable. If you want to be part of the kingdom, you have to be part of the tribulation. What is the, the tribulation? Well, tribulation at this stage I think, just means the suffering, okay, the troubles, children. To be, to be part of the tribulation means to be, be part of the, the difficult way of life that following Christ entails. For John, the consequences are, are, are pretty obvious. Verse 9 again, he's on the island of Patmos. Now, this island, Patmos, he's not on a, it's in the Mediterranean, it's just north of, of what we could now call Turkey. He's not on summer holidays or relaxing on the beach. He's there in exile. Okay, the, the, the Romans had a, a penal colony, a, essentially a prison colony, uh, on Patmos. And it seems that John has been exiled there, sent there, because of, well, on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Because he is held to the gospel, the testimony of Jesus, and the word of God. He's basically on Guantanamo Bay because of his faith. To be in the kingdom 
In other words, to be one of Jesus' people, to be in the church, to be forgiven and saved and welcome, adopted as a child of God, necessarily means you will also be in the tribulation. Because you see, they are both, verse 9, in Jesus. That's the most common way in the New Testament Christians are described. They're very rarely described as Christians. They're most often described as those who are in Jesus. Children, have you seen Russian dolls? What's magic about Russian dolls? Not magic, what's special about them? You pull the outside out and there's another one inside, isn't there? Well, Christians are like the little dolls nestling inside the big outer doll, Jesus. We are are described as in him. And if we're in him, we're in the kingdom. But we're also going to suffer. They're inseparable. The good news, of course, is there's a third thing there. When you become part of the kingdom, you will suffer. But in Jesus is also, do you see, the patient endurance that are in Jesus. That is both a call and a gift, I think. The Christian life will mean at some points you just have to endure. It means at some points in your life, it will be easier or it would be easier if you weren't a Christian. Now, we really need to get that into our heads because there's a way of reasoning that that sometimes comes to us that is, well, God wants to bless me. True. God loves me. True. Therefore, he will always lead me down the more pleasant path. Not true. (laughs) That's the problem. God, in his mysterious sovereignty, in the ways that, that that he walks his children safely home, often lead us down dark paths. He's upfront about it. This is just one example. We could go elsewhere in the New Testament. Think of Jesus' words, you must take up your cross and follow me. Paul's words, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There's no trick, there's no deception. But for our own good, because he loves us, Well, sometimes God leads us into harder times. Sometimes, frankly, life would just be easier, less hassle if we weren't in Christ Jesus. It's unlikely for most of us, I guess, to mean exile uh, to an island. But it may well mean some sort of exclusion. Uh, Perhaps it means exclusion from the upper echelons of your career. If you hold with John to everything the word of God says, and let's be honest, the real battles at the moment, the ones you're going to be pressed on are going to be gender and sexuality. We'd love to be able to pick the battles and for it all to be about the resurrection or the cross, but no one at work is going to ask your opinion on the resurrection of Jesus. If they do, great, go with it. But you may well have to subscribe to various views on gender, sexuality and the like. You don't get to pick the battles, sadly. But if you stay with the word... And the testimony of Jesus, it may well be your Chris halts, stalls, falls apart. You might be excluded from social groups, looked down on even in your own family. And perhaps you know, as some of us do, just that the pain of family members looking at you in the eye and saying, you cannot believe that. Tell me you don't believe that. It is an exclusion This is what I mean by, if you want to be in, in Christ, in the kingdom, you will be out, out of the world, out of the world's kingdom. You will be excluded. It might be education. Where it gets just so hard, almost impossible to stay in the educational structures uh, that we normally progress in. There's all sorts of things we could be excluded from. 
And we hate it. Don't we? we hate being excluded. It's kind of nightmares people have of turning up to a party and you've been told it's fancy dress, so you turn up dressed as Batman and it turns out it's just a normal kind of smart casual dress code. And you just feel like such a weirdo. We hate being different. But if you want to be in, you will be out. The two go together. So how do we keep going? John's not just announcing that and saying, so best of luck to you guys. You know, see you in heaven, hopefully. He's got good news. So the second thing this morning, if you want to be in, you have to be out. If you want to see, you have to listen. This is verses 10 to 16. If you want to see, you have to listen. Verse 10. I, John, was in the spirit on the Lord's day. We don't know exactly what that means, being in the spirit, but somehow it means the spirit has taken him up and given him, presumably, the kind of visions that he's about to describe. And it's the Lord's day. What's the Lord's day, children? Remember what day of the week the Lord's day is? It's Sunday, isn't it? Okay, the day of resurrection, the day of the Lord. And he hears this voice, a voice that's like a trumpet, okay, this echoing, booming voice. And what the voice says is really significant. Even before we get to the content of the vision, verse 11, the principle is really significant. Write what you see in a book and send it to the churches. And then Jesus, who is the speaker, lists these seven churches. Uh, Seven, I think, to represent the wholeness of the church. Seven, as we'll see time and time again in, in Revelation, means kind of completeness, probably stemming from the seven days of creation. So these seven churches, which are all in Turkey, you can plot them on the map, they're a little, little horseshoe um, in, in what is now Turkey. Um, they, they, are, they were real churches, real congregations there, but, but they're meant to represent the whole church, I think. Now, what's the principle? Why is the principle of verse 11 really important? Who does the seeing? If, if, you, if, you, read the, if you followed along with the reading, it was this immense image of Jesus. Okay, we're going to come to that. Who does the seeing? Who sees Jesus in all his power and glory, his burning brightness, his immensity, his holiness? John, write what you see. John sees something that you and I are not going to see. Ever. This isn't, by the way, what Jesus literally looks like. It's not like a, you know, it's essentially a kind of description, like a selfie or something. This is symbolic. But John sees a vision that you and I will not see. You are not going to see Jesus like this. When you die, you'll see Jesus. And I can't tell you what he looks like. <laughs> no idea. But, 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 but until you die, you're not going to see Jesus. You will never hear a voice like the roaring of many waters. You will never see a man with burning bright eyes, a man whose face is like the sun. You will never see a man with feet like bronze, with hair white as snow and a gold sash around his long robe, speaking to you in a way that makes you fall on your, on the, on your face on the ground. It will not happen to you. But it happened to John, and that voice said, verse 11, right what you see in a book and send it to the church. The way you are going to see church is by listening. It's by hearing. If you want to see, you have to listen. John gets the vision. Everybody else, every other Christian in history gets the words, gets this book that's on your lap. 
we want to see, don't we? Okay, we think how, how much easier would life be if this morning Jesus came crashing through the ceiling, okay, clothed like this, dressed like this, burningly bright, and said, right, here I am for you, go out and live for me, and I will welcome you home. But in many ways, that's what we, we want. We think life would be easy if that would happen. But that is not the way God has planned it, and his ways, again, are best. It's not for us to tell him how he should run the world. But the way he runs the world and the way he directs the church is like this. Showing John something extraordinary. John writes it down and then it gets sent to you and me in a book. And that's why this book is so important. Perhaps you've been to the, uh, the optician and you know that thing where they, they put those kind of weird machine in front of you. It's like giant glasses and the little, the little um, lenses going out. You're clearer now or now. And they turn the lenses around and sometimes it's much clearer and sometimes you can't tell the difference. And the whole point is to, to give clarity to your sight. You will not see the world rightly unless you are hearing from this book. Because hearing from this book is hearing from Jesus. King. His is the voice like the roar of many waters. The eyes of your head, your normal eyes, will bring in loads of messages to you. TV, school, uni, friends, businesses, social media, friends, family, all the time is preaching messages to you that basically say, live for another king other than Jesus. Live for this age. Increasingly, again, in our country, they will say, actually, the way that you are saying you're living for this imaginary Jesus is frankly just evil. People like you are bad people. That is going to be preached at you all the time. Eyes are going to be endlessly taking in that message. And so Jesus says, listen to what John saw. And what does John see? What is in this vision? He turns around. And in verses 12 through 16, we get the content of the vision. Who are we listening to? It is Jesus, not Jesus the kind uncle or the life coach or the friend or even the older brother. This is Jesus in all his glory. The, the, the imagery, we're not going to pull apart every single part of the clothing and the imagery and the, uh, and the body parts. But again, it's all taken from the Old Testament. Now, let me just read to you um, a little bit of the book of Daniel. This is from Daniel 7, where Daniel gets a vision. And you keep your eyes on, on Revelation 1 and that description of Jesus. And just listen to this from, from Daniel 7. Uh, it's about the Son of Man. You see, he, John says he sees someone like a Son of Man. Uh, Daniel 7, 9 says this. I looked, Daniel looked, thrones were placed. And the Ancient of Days, that's God, took his seat his clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. This is God. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels burning fire. Fire comes out. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment. The books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horde was speaking, the horn was speaking. As I looked, a beast was killed. Okay, these other empires, their dominion was taken away. 
And then Daniel goes on, I saw in this vision, behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and nation that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Do you hear these two characters? The ancient of days, God, white hair like snow, burning fire coming from him. And then one like a son of man, that's Jesus, who comes to him and is given all authority. And all the other kingdoms, all the other kingdoms pictured as beasts are just thrown out before him. And then John has this vision. His vision is of Jesus, except this time it's Jesus who has the white hair like snow. Why? Jesus who has the eyes like fire. Why? Jesus who has a voice like rushing waters. All those in the, in the Old Testament, in Daniel and Ezekiel and other books, they're all things that only God has, descriptions of God. But here they're descriptions of Jesus. Because the son of man, which just means a man, okay? the son of man is a man, the son of a horse is a horse, the son of a rabbit is a rabbit, it's a normal expression, the son of man, so the man, this special man, well, this one alone is also God. And so the description of Jesus is meant to make us realize that we're dealing with the God man, not just any man. He's wearing a robe, that's priestly clothing. We'll come back to that later. He has white hair, again, like God, but it's meant to symbolize wisdom. Again, how do you make wise decisions for your career? Is a wise decision just that which gets you up the ladder? Or is a wise decision that which honors the truly wise king of all the ages? His eyes are like fire. He can see to the depths of your souls. There is no hiding from him. Again, what is a wise way to live? Is it to live to please the eyes of those who hold earthly power or to please the eyes of those, or him rather, who sees all things and will judge all things? His feet are like bronze. They're indestructible. Where is real strength found? What can you build your life upon? Where will you find security? Again, in building your little earthly kingdom, in pleasing your little earthly masters, or in building your life upon Jesus Christ, whose feet are indestructibly stood upon the earth. Who are you going to listen to? If you want to see, you have to listen. His voice, like the roaring of many waters, verse 15. But, but is it for you? When you open the Bible to, to read it yourself or when it's opened on a Sunday, do, do you think of it as you coming to the Bible to do a bit of Bible study in the same way as you might go to Tolkien and read a bit of sort of magical adventures about dwarves and hobbits and all the rest? Read a bit of Shakespeare and, and some nice sonnets. In other words, it's me coming and studying. Now, John says, whenever you open the book or whenever it is opened and read to you, you're hearing the voice of this Jesus. The book is his voice. Hear it as God's voice in Jesus coming to you. And if you want to hear, you want to see, you have to listen. It is in that regard, I think, significant that we're told the day on which he, he, he gets this vision. Now, I don't think there are any other letters in the New Testament where the author begins, you know, Paul or Peter or James or John, whoever, begins his letter by saying, um, it was a Tuesday and... 
There is something significant, I think, about John saying, look, it was on the Lord's Day, it was on Sunday, the great day of the Christian gathering. It was on that day that he got to see Jesus in all his glory. As we've said a few times before, all the resurrection appearances we know about that are dated in the New Testament, in the Gospels, they all appear on a Sunday. It, it, it is the, the time as the church gather together that, that Jesus promises to meet with his people. It's not, of course, that the Bible, I don't know, doesn't work on a Monday or something. That would be ridiculous. Of course, it's always his word. But there is something special about coming and hearing his voice to you. Sunday by Sunday. Which voice is going to dominate? The voices of the kings of the earth? Or the voice of the one like many waters roaring? So, if you want to be in, you have to be out. If you want to hear, you have to listen. And finally, if you want to win, you have to lose. Verses 17 to 20. If you want to win, you have to lose. What would you do if, 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 if that had been you, John? You in John's place, what would you do? You would do what John did. Do you see verse 17? When I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. Can you imagine seeing Jesus like that? It'd be terrifying. Utterly terrifying. That's why Jesus' words are so wonderful. He laid his right hand on me. He reaches down. Fear not. This is the most powerful man in all the universe. The most powerful being in all the universe because he is the God man. Burningly pure, indestructibly strong. Holy, holy, holy. And he reaches down and says, don't be afraid, John. It is right to tremble before Jesus. It's not to deny that he loves us. It's not to deny that we're safe with him. But he is the king. He is God. And it's incredible, he says, fear not. Uh, you might know the Narnia stories, often quoted uh, early on when the children are in, it's the land of which water, the children are in Narnia, and they discover that Aslan, that the Jesus figure, is a lion. And Susan says, oh, a lion? I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I'll feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Bieber. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Don't, don't mess with Jesus, if I can be blunt. He is a gentle saviour, a faithful friend, one who says, fear not. He is at the same time the king of all the universe. I fall at his feet, though dead. In the story, Lucy, the youngest child, goes on. Then isn't he safe? Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Beaver, don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Much quoted passage, and rightly so. It summarizes it so well. Jesus is not safe, but he is good. Fear not. You don't need to fear me, ultimately. Or rather, there is a right fear of me. Yes, it is right to, to bow before me. But also, I think, fear not, fear not the world. Fear not the persecution, the tribulation, the being cast out. Why not? Well, because of all that Jesus has done. It's all there in 17 through 20. Uh, he's with us. Do you see where this vision takes place? We've done the when, which is on the Sunday, the Lord's Day. Where? 
Well, back to verse 12. I saw the voice speaking to me. I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man. Jesus is speaking from amongst these seven lampstands. What are the seven lampstands? Well, the end of verse 20, we get it from Jesus' lips. The seven lampstands are seven churches. He is amongst the churches. He is with the churches. You might know in the tabernacle in the Old Testament, there was a a lampstand that had kind of seven prongs to it. Again, completeness. Jesus is, is doing priestly work. That's why he's dressed as a priest. He's tending to the flame on the the candles. We saw last week that the flames on the candles is, is the Holy Spirit. Can you get that in chapter 4 uh, and verse 5 if you want to look it up later? That the flame, the Holy Spirit, Jesus is keeping the flame of the Holy Spirit burning within his churches. He is here among us, tenderly keeping us, strengthening us. It is he who speaks to us. I think that's what the, the stars are about. Now, sometimes in Revelation you get imagery and you just don't know what's going on. But he says in verse 20, the seven stars that are in his hands are the angels of the seven churches. Okay, so we know what the stars are. They're the angels of the churches. At which point, everyone obviously says, the what of the churches? <laughs> the angels of the what? Now, two potential options. I don't know which one's right. I've got a slight leaning. The, the, the word angel is just the word messenger. Okay, so if someone wanted to write the word messenger in the New Testament, they would use exactly the same word as if they wanted to describe the angel Gabriel. So it could be that the angels of the churches, and these will come back in the letters in chapter 2 onwards, each letter begins to the angel of the church in Sardis, or the angel of the church in Thyatira. It could just mean a human messenger who takes John's letter, could be that. Everywhere else in the book of Revelation, angel means the kind of angel we think, the kind of supernatural being. So it could be that it's almost as if Jesus sends an angel to each church to deliver his message, as if there's one angel who kind of has oversight in some way of each church. I don't know what you'd do with that, Um, But either way, the point is, the messengers, be they angelic or human, are coming from Jesus to the church. It's reinforcing what we've just said, that it is his word that comes to us. And he has conquered. End of verse 18, sorry, 17, and and, and verse 18, the center there. Fear not, for I am the first and the last, and the claim to be God. But like in verse 8 of chapter 1, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. I am God, the first and the last, the living one. If you want to find life, come to me. Our life is in me. But how did Jesus become the living one? I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys to death and Hades. The route to eternal life, to safe life, to true life, life that nobody can take away from you, is found in the pattern of Jesus. Death before life. He was crucified buried and he rose again and now has eternal life it's not that his life just went on forever and ever with no interruptions and so for you too you you might not experience a physical crucifixion god willing not but the christian life is one of suffering you will suffer first and then glory at some point that suffering will involve most likely a physical death but don't panic says jesus whatever the earthly empires take from you whatever it costs Whatever being out does to you, it cannot take your life. I am the one. I hold the keys of death and Hades, the place of the dead. I am the one who can give you eternal life. So don't panic. Whatever, any cost is worth it. And I will give it to you. That's why he's dressed as a priest. Priests were all about sacrifice and mercy. About intercession. About bringing you safely home to God. Jesus is this glorious king. But he is a priest king 
who wants to deliver you safely home. That's why to go back to where we began, it's not just the kingdom and the tribulation that are in Jesus, but also the patient endurance. He loves you. He has laid down his life for you. All your sins have been atoned for. All your weaknesses and and, and tremblings and failings have been atoned for. All your doubts and despair have been atoned for. And he is now amongst you saying, listen to me. Let me tend the flame within you. Stay with me. And whatever you lose, you will win far more eternally. Life is probably going to get harder for all of us. Uh, for all of you children even for you it'll be hard at times being christians there'll be things you don't get that you'd love to get and the reason you haven't got them is because you're christians but jesus said blessed are you welcome that is the way that i walked and that is the path that guarantees you will arrive safely home in glory let's pray lord jesus Uh, We are so taken in by the things we can see, by the world around us. We're so attracted to earthly strength, earthly wisdom, earthly riches and popularity. We want to be in with you and in with the world, but we can see that just isn't possible. Thank you that we're not saved by our faithfulness, but we're saved by you. But we pray that, that in that salvation you give us, that forgiveness and mercy, you would also give us the gift of your spirit in increasing measure to allow us to listen to your voice above all other things. Might the Bible be a roar to us. Might we know it is a living voice and that you have said all that you need. Bless us, therefore, through this book. Allow us to live distinct lives, not caring if we're cast out from this world, exiled from all sorts of groups and societies, but knowing the rich blessing of being in with you. We entrust ourselves to you, therefore, in your own name. Amen.